Welcome to Thriving with Stripes. I'm Dr. Patty Stott, along with Tom Stott here to present a positive environment for those with Ehlers-Danlos Syndromes. The grounded background in research, we're here to provide education, support, and empowerment to understand how to thrive as a zebra. The information provided through this podcast is general and should not be applied as treatment until discussing with a medical practitioner. Located outside the Denver metro area, we specialize in general consultations and health and wellness related in-office and tele-appointments for those with EDS and related diagnoses. We hope you enjoy the show. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to Thriving with Stripes or welcome back. My name is Tom Stott. I'm sitting next to the amazing Dr. Patty. Hi, Dr. Patty. Hi, good morning. Good morning. And we are uh, trying to continue to create amidst the oddness that is this pandemic. And there, it sounds like there's elephants upstairs. Yeah, we're, um, we're, we're trapped and locked inside a basement, basement room right now. So we're in a basement room <laughs> and we have kids that, that are pretty much rearranging our entire upstairs furniture, we're, we're certain. Um, so bear with us if it's a little noisy at times. But we wanted to come on, it's going to be a pretty quick in terms of uh, the depth that we get into podcast today, because we wanted to touch on bracing. And we've already put some content out about this. We have a really well put together PowerPoint lecture that's shared through our website um, that I'll link into the show notes here to go check out that has some good visuals. But I want to come on here and talk about bracing because would you say it's something that, that you're asked a lot about? I'm asked a lot or I see a lot about okay. um and I think there's a lot of misconceptions from both sides, from practitioners and understanding the bracing that's needed for hypermobility or EDS or hypermobility spectrum disorder. And there's um, a misconception from the other side that because the diagnosis has been given that there needs to be bracing. Um, so I wanted to have this podcast talk to kind of meet in the middle and give more explanation on where we should all be looking at this from. And I could see where somebody, anybody would come from with that. If you have hypermobility, if you have loose laxity in, in joints excessively, it sounds like adding some type of support or protection would be good. Maybe a little bit of kinesthetic piece too. Yeah. And it depends on the person and we always want to be able to do it um, ourselves with our body. So that's, that should be the goal, which we'll talk about, you know, what are the goals for different people and what does that look like? Um, but bracing in itself shouldn't be the only thing that we're looking at. And there are, you know, what we call functional instability. And that's really what we're looking for is, uh, do you need to be braced because you are unstable in your daily activity? So that's what we're going to talk about. Okay, cool. So one of the biggest uh, kind of hot button topics with bracing is the fact that we can become reliant on them. Um, is this notion that like bracing will make us weaker, you know, we'll have to solely have them and, you know, heaven forbid I ever forget my brace before I head into work or wherever I'm going for the day that I'm in trouble. Can bracing make you weaker? No, that's been proven times over different body parts um, in the, in the science that they've done. Bracing doesn't make you weaker. Um, it helps reinforce and remind you of what muscles to use and give you the stability when you need it, if you're lacking it, you know, internally from your own muscles and supports. So um, bracing does not make you weaker. Um, we still, it's not necessarily something that we want to see long term, but it doesn't make you weaker. So that is disproven. Okay. Yeah. One of the things that I think it's a, it's a matter of language too, like weaker of course it wouldn't make you weaker. Like that, that almost is illogical <clears throat> of, of a thought. But what, what I think when 
I work with a lot of these endurance athletes, right, is that it doesn't make them weaker. But if you tackle bracing as your only fix to a problem, it puts you in this negative spin. So if I have a runner that's relying on a chondromalacia patella strap and they never do anything to address the things around the knee, only using the strap, that's something is – is it weakness? No. Is it, is it something I like? Definitely not. So then let's move down to, we're going to talk about the reason for bracing. Okay. Um, and the reason for bracing is to add a little bit of extra stability. So um, if you are ever in the need of extra stability or what you're talking about compression, um, which we're going to talk about the difference between compression and, and bracing, um, I think they're both beneficial depending on what you're dealing with. Um, but we want to add a little bit extra reinforcement. So there are many cases of somebody that has hypermobility that will need to brace over their lifetime. Um, as to what that looks like, it's different for every person. Um, but it's it's just to add a little bit of extra stability if we're talking about bracing. Compression is different, but we are going to talk about that too, because a lot of people think they're the same things. And um, a lot of these braces have a compression component interwoven you know, to them. Oh, the hybrid, and that's my favorite. <laughs> So I do recommend that a lot. And, and yet for those that have been in to see me um, or talk to me or even practitioners that have talked to me, I usually say, Hey, you know, they're probably going to end up with multiple types of braces if something is a chronic issue in one area. So, you know, the reason for bracing, it should be a temporary, as you call, you know, an additive to something or compression. It should be temporary to get you through, to be able to stabilize yourself, but you use it in times that you feel like you need it. Um, that's not the case for everybody. I do understand that there are people that need bracing um, very long term, but I'd like to clarify that we have goals that we're looking for that um, the goals with bracing, it's, you don't just throw a brace on something or a compression strap on something. There needs to be a goal that you're putting this on to get from point A to point B. So what's point B? You can't have a goal of bracing just to brace for all waking hours, that that's going to be your support, that that's what you're going to rely on because that area will never get better. Now, the rate that somebody is going to improve in that area, very different there, you know, sometimes the goal, honestly, like we're talking about neck bracing, sometimes the goal is to give them support while you're investigating with, um, with tests to, to start working towards a surgical route. So that could be the goal. Yes, but there has to be a goal. You wouldn't want to put somebody in a neck brace for the rest of their life. That's just, that cannot be the goal. So what is your goal when you're bracing? You have to understand that the goal is to lean out of it. The goal is to support you during higher intensity activities. So we just, we need to create a goal. We don't want to throw a brace on and have that be the only intervention. You know, that's an important point to bring up because I don't know if, if I've ever seen a, a patient, a client come in that's had goals established for a brace before I've talked to them. You know, mm -hmm. the same goes, <clears throat> I work a lot with the foot and ankle around orthotics. You know, people get put into orthotics and then they just assume they're in orthotics for the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. But <clears throat> being able to have this discussion around goals and what the plan is, it, it sounds like it's pivotal. Yeah. And I tell people, if you are consistently bracing, you better be consistently doing something as an intervention to help that area. So, um, which can be exhausting. Um, <laughs> I understand that, but I'm also saying that if you're at the phase where you just need to brace and that's really all that you can do, well, what are you doing for pain relief? If it's, if it's that painful, um, or that unstable, what are the small little isometrics? Those, 
those um, exercises where we're not moving, but we're giving a muscle contraction or what, what sort of any intervention, even very small, you should be doing consistently. If you're going to brace consistently, you have to have a goal and a mindset that the brace is there to help, but you need to be doing something to hopefully work you out of that brace. So let's continue down this road about goals then. Are we establishing like, so we make a plan of uh, an action plan around what we're going to do to help work with this brace and possibly work out of it in, in some amount of time. Mm-hmm. It, so it's activity dependent, lifestyle dependent, mm-hmm. um, anything else when you're, when you're making goals that you put up in the front of your mind in terms of... Yeah, it's different for everybody. I mean, you can even talk to somebody about um, a wearing schedule that if they feel like they need to have it on all the time is, well, one of the goals then be looking at, you know, if you're on your feet for eight hours throughout a day while you're at home, can we only wear the brace for seven hours and then see how you respond to that and then start to work down to six. Of course, while you're doing other things, it's not just that you, you know, when you're weaning out of a brace or making goals like that, you have to have been doing other interventions. That should be like a last step, but yeah, there's so many ways that you can play around with your goals for brace wearing. Okay. Awesome. So we're bracing based on the individual. I I wanted to try and get those words out because I thought I was going to trip over them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we are, every treatment is based on the individual. And I feel like we've lost that a little bit with, um, with medicine in general, just the way that we approach things. It's very standardized that if somebody is diagnosed with this, you try this dosage first with this medication and, and that's the treatment. So I think that taking a step back and realizing that there's an individual and their wear schedule for the, the brace is going to be different, um, when they need to wear it, how often. So it's, everybody is very, very different. Okay. So person comes in, they have their own set of needs and their own goals and, and thoughts around this. How do we decide what we want to brace and like how much to brace? So, oh, that's a really good question because one of the things that makes me cringe a little bit um, and saddens me a bit on social media is I do see this a lot that I see um, somebody's put up a post, hey, I've been, I've just been diagnosed with hypermobile EDS or classical EDS or whatever it might be. What sort of braces should I go out and buy? <laughs> And it breaks my heart because, you know, it's implied somebody has told them or they have it in their head that they are going to need to brace these typical joints. And it's not. It's based on the individual. Um, There are some people that don't touch a brace in their life. There are some people I use braces on and off after acute injuries. You're like an intermittent bracer. I'm an intermittent bracer. I use them when I need to. Um, But again, it's I use them. I love compression braces, which we'll talk about. I respond really well to those because I have some pain issues. Um, so, so yeah, so it's based on the individual, just because you have this diagnosis does not mean that you have to go out and get knee braces and ankle braces and wrist braces and elbow braces. And I've had providers reach out to me that, you know, ask me, Hey, I've had this patient, uh, diagnosed with EDS, which should I have them pick up first? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. You know, it's <laughs> a notebook to start learning. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very, very different. And we shouldn't be assuming that somebody needs to be braced because of this diagnosis. It's everybody presents with hypermobility and instability and hyperflexibility in different areas. So it's 
you have to look at the individual and it's a conversation to have with the person. If you feel like you need to have a knee brace, the conversation first has to be, okay, well, what are you doing for it? When does it hurt? Um, How can we modify those things? Um, What sort of exercises should you be doing to help? What sort of pain relief should you be doing to help? And then, you know, we can talk about bracing, what type of braces are out there, but just to understand that bracing is one small part of the whole intervention. Okay. And there, there are people, there are people that, um, you know, a lot of things hurt. And especially when we're talking about hurt or fluctuating instability, we've talked about this before, that they, they go through cycles where everything is loosey-goosey. Um, that's not just that flat diagnosis that we're talking about. That's something systemic at that point um, where you're dealing with chronic inflammatory issues, um, systemic inflammatory issues, or hormonal changes that come from the system. So sometimes when those people that, that really feel like they, they do need, and they probably do need to be braced in multiple, multiple different areas. And I might not talk orthopedics. We might be having a conversation on their gut or their autonomic system. So again, it's, it's important, you know, if you do feel like you require uh, so many braces, then you really need to have that conversation of what else is going on in your health too. Or are you just super, super loosey goosey? And then part of the plan, are we going to have you do exercises for each individual joint? Because that would be exhausting. Um, And no, they found that actually just general workout programs and activity and sports, of course, modify and you need a discussion about this. But that can also be just as beneficial as joint specific exercises. So rather than giving somebody 50 different exercises to cover their 10 different joint complaints, and we give them um, working towards an activity or Pilates or yoga or exercise bike, but just something more global um, to work on the body as a whole. So, excuse me. So somebody, you could kind of establish a rule of thumb that um, maybe not with a specific number, but if, if you're looking to brace multiple joints for the patient out there or for the provider, you can kind of take that as a flag for systemic issue. So if somebody comes in and they're like, I need, I feel like I need, I just got diagnosed bilateral elbow, bilateral, knee, bilateral <laughs> ankle, like take that as a pretty strong indicator that there's something global going on that you, like you mentioned, like you said, something global. So not necessarily even something systemic, but are we even just dealing with general deconditioning? Has the person really been scared, not able to do activity because of illness or whatever it might be? Are they just deconditioned and weak? And that's what's caused this change in their stability. So um, there are things that change our joint stability. It's very important to be aware of this. Um, It fluctuates with hormones. It fluctuates with inflammation. Um, It will change depending on your muscle strength that surrounds it. So knowing, yes, just like you said, that it's a flag for something global. Um, And that's why you want a more global approach. Again, you don't have to give exercises for every single um, joint that's out there that's causing the problem. I think it's good too, is to help people kind of connect the dots with uh, these acute flare-ups and these like setting up this rhythm almost for, all right, I feel like I need to brace multiple things because I think pain is something, you know, it's, it's, it's the body's last resort, but it's for people living with chronic illness. I think it's the first thing you feel because you're, I'm not somebody that can speak from personal experience, but understanding at least a little bit right about a a day in the life 
there's so much always going on. The baseline is is not 100%. So the pain is is kind of that thing that that pushes people over the edge. Right. So if if somebody gets used to saying, "Hey man, I'm having a bit more pain today mm-hmm. or my joints feel a bit more flared up." Let me look back. Oh, okay. Uh, like I just spoke to somebody on the phone who's going to come in to see us. She just did a 12-hour road trip and was like, I just need to knock this out in one day. But like that sent her into a mass cell flare. So you start to put these pieces together and it helps put that empowerment back to the to the patient because they can say like, oh, I have a reason for this. Like you want a reason for everything. And that's right. what kind of this this gives you. Yeah. And sometimes it's hard to find that voice and which is why it's really nice to talk this out with somebody Um, a little bit off topic, but yes, pain, you know, especially those dealing with chronic pain, those that have been through trauma, even if it's trauma through medical appointments and past medical history. um, That's a big one. It's a huge one that we don't talk about. Um, Just not being listened to is traumatic, especially if something's going on. So what happens in the brain is that we actually lose the ability to um, verbalize, to make the connection from emotion or pain and put that into an expressive component. Um, this is, it's neuroscience, you know, it's, we, we lose the ability to express pain. That's why when they put a pain scale in front of you, I had this conversation yesterday, they, you know, you have no idea what number to give it. You're like, well, is this now, is this, you know, compared to 10 years ago? Um, wait, let me think about this morning. Was I feeling anything? Because your body interprets pain differently and you have difficulties expressing it verbally. So it's really, really difficult to by yourself, be able to figure out what your pain is telling you. And that's why it's important to have somebody that understands the language of pain to kind of pull it out and figure out, yes, what's, what, what is your pain telling you? It's telling you something. Pain always tells you something. Um, it could just be telling you that it's there and you need to be working on it. Or it could be more of a flag. Like you say, like, Hey, it was a 12 hour car ride. And that's what did it. And it sent you into a flare up. And I just wanted you to recognize that. Okay, we can get back to our baseline now after you fix me. So there's always a message. And it's really, really difficult to for some people to figure out what the message is on their own. So I highly recommend talking to somebody that is knowledgeable in pain education so that he can sort out those messages. It's funny because that's about the biggest I've seen you smile this morning when you are going to laugh at yourself about that pain scale, because it, it is comical, like not in a ha ha funny, but like, this is ridiculous. This question, the fact that we, we make it so cut and dry. And so uniplanar of like, where's your pain at? Give me a number mm-hmm. right now. Like it means anything. Yeah. I like to talk about quality. Um, if, I, what I do in my office, because I do not have to, I don't use insurance companies. <laughs> I am self-pay. So I don't have to report those numbers. Um, do I like them sometimes? If, if people can give them to me, that's great. Sometimes I track them. But what yeah, I'm looking for trends. is compared to your baseline, do you have more or less pain? And I leave it there. And then I ask the, for the, um, the quality of pain. Well, tell me about it. Is it sharp? Is it stabbing? Is it tingling? I want to know about the quality that you're having and if it's more or less than usual. And then the conversation usually ends there because it's more about the, you know, the quality of what you're feeling and your perception of where it is on your average daily scale. Yeah. And we won't go down a giant insurance company tangent, but I will say (laughs) that I I strongly dislike those pain numbers because either 
um, it's long-term care that we'd like to be able to provide and walk people through this. And either the numbers stay the same, um, like I'm always nine out of 10 and the insurance company says, well, they're not getting better denied, or they get better and they're nine out of 10 down to zero. And they say, oh, well, they have no pain done. No more visits. It's oh gosh, like, yeah. you can't win. <laughs> we, could, right. we could go off on so many tangents or, you know, the fact that they're making slow, steady improvements means that they can do it on their own. Yeah. So yeah, it's, gosh, it's, that is very complicated yeah. and you're absolutely right. But let's talk about bracing yes. options. Let's shift over. Let's go bracing options. Tell me about, I mean, this is like, I want to remind people again, go check out this podcast, the uh, PowerPoint lecture on our site to get the visuals that go along with, but let's go into bracing, Dr. Patty. So I kind of, let's do like a head to toe type of um, uh, path for our discussion, um, just so we can remember everything that we wanted to talk about. And of course, there's probably things that we're not going to touch on, but um don't want this to be too long. And I don't want people to honestly have too many options of things to go out and feel that they need to buy. Um, Because they don't need to buy what we're about to talk about. We're just talking about options. Right. And just kind of what I've done in the past, what I've seen, what I've had people use. Um, You know, I've made custom orthoses for people. um, So I've used that. I've used things over the counter. Um, There's such a wide variety of what you can use. So uh, everybody's going to be a little bit different, but this will just give some people an idea of um, what to look for, um, especially with certain body parts, because I think there are benefits to using some types and people just don't know, like we'll talk about the knee that um, you're not going to stabilize the patella with a knee sleeve. So, um, so let's start up at the, the head, which, you know, we'll move right down to the neck. Um, you have the soft collar and the hard collar. Now, especially in this area, you need to have a conversation on what the goal is. I, years ago, I haven't seen this so much lately, so I'm happy. But years ago, I would see people that were just in a soft neck collar. And they would just wear it indefinitely. Just flat out. Which is fine. But what are you doing? Do you need to see a surgeon? Because you don't want to wear that the rest of your life. So what? what is the next step? Are you... And I always, the neck is a, is usually extremely painful. People don't want to move it. It's exhausting. The head's heavy to hold up. But, so I usually start the conversation of, well, what are you doing nice to it? Are you, are you taking it off? Um, and are you doing exercises lying down on your back to take the muscles out of it and just working on some gentle movement? What are you allowed to do with it? Um, are you doing ice or heat? Just something nice can even be an intervention. And that's kind of where I start. But you have soft neck collars, which do provide some support. Um, but they're more so just to remind us where to keep the head. You can still um, rotate. You can bend against the collar, which is actually um, not the best scenario if you have neck pain. Um, but it's a reminder to keep your head in a certain position. So those soft collars, if you're, you're in a soft collar, usually um, whatever you're dealing with, you can take the, the collar off intermittently to work on things. So are you doing that? Okay. Um, the The hard collar... The, um, the cervical collars that are out there have like a little groove for your chin and it really firmly holds you in place. There's no rotation. Um, you can't bend the head down. There's very little movement to, to turn the head up. So this is a stabilizing brace. 
You're in this brace to not move, period. Now, this is one that I'm probably not asking people if they're taking it off to work on things, because if somebody has you in a stability brace, um, then you're probably getting further testing done to rule out those bigger red flags. Yeah. So, so that's, a, I do the, we have that conversation of, um, do you put ice or heat on it? Do you put any topical stuff? I still like doing nice things because I still always like to address the pain, mm-hmm. but, um, but even with a hard collar, a hard collar isn't something that you should be in for the rest of your life. You should still have a plan. And this is tricky because finding the person that can get you that plan for some of the conditions that happen in the upper cervical area, especially, um, you might be in a collar long term until you find somebody that can treat you. So I do understand that. I'm just saying that, you know, if you are finding yourself in a neck collar, soft or firm, um, what's the plan? What's the plan? Because I don't want you in that long term. I, I want you out of it. I want you to be able to have functional movement of your neck. That's, you know, for vision, for functional driving and things like that. It's really important. Okay. I know a joint that a lot of people have issues with because it has so many degrees of freedom to begin with is the shoulder. What do you think about shoulder bracing? Anything you like out there? Yeah. I mean, there, there are some things that I like. Um, the shoulder is tricky to be able to stabilize. Um, a lot of times what we see is multidirectional instability. So it's instability in different planes of motion. The shoulder slides down, the shoulder slides forward, the shoulder slides back in the socket. So you're not going to find a brace that restricts all of those. It's, it's just not going to happen. So there are some braces out there primarily that are made for what's called anterior instability where the, um, the ball of the the shoulder that sits in the the socket slides forward. Okay. So there are some braces out there that do work on that. Um, there are it's kind of like a strapping system. It reminds me of like uh, an archer. Okay. With the strap that goes around the chest and um, a neoprene area on the shoulder and upper arm. So what the strap does, it actually the strap starts at the shoulder area and you pull back on the strap around the back and then come up the chest to be able to pull the shoulder back. So it holds it in that back position so that you don't have as much sliding forward. Um, Some people do like these. I think that it doesn't give enough stability, but there are some people that do really well with them. And again, it's about feedback too, and especially postural stuff, which sometimes for the the shoulder too, I just recommend a postural strap, which we'll talk about in a little bit, because it's about that forward position of the shoulders, which I am fully in. You guys can't see me, but I am so rounded. I just have the worst posture right now. But if that's your typical day, then you might just need that reminder to pull you out. Um, there is another type of shoulder strapping system that's very similar, but it goes, the neoprene extends around the chest as well. So it's just a little bit more reinforcement and stability. I don't know that that works any better than just the strapping system from the shoulder, to be honest. Um, the other one, and again, I don't preach one company over another because there are so many products out there, but I do know that Bauerfind has, 
um, they've tested their some of their products on patients with EDS and hypermobility spectrum disorder. So I have to give them props for that. And the shoulder was one of them that they did a study on. And um, Barafine works with compression. So they're kind of that hybrid model where they, they have stability products, they have compression products, and they have products that meet in the middle. And this is one of those hybrid ones. So it's a, um, it's a compression garment for the shoulder that does go over the shoulder and upper arm. And then it has the strapping system as well. So you, neoprene does have some compressive uh, forces to it, but to be able to get that on and off, it can't be super tight, but with the the material that Barafine uses, you can slide this on and off and it's a firmer fit. So if especially there's um, more pain associated with the, um, with the shoulder as well, then going with something that has more compression might be uh, more comfortable and feel a little bit better. Okay. Yeah. The shoulder just it, it moves around so much and let's continue our way down the arm. So we get elbow and then all this lovely movement below it. So, well, let's stop at the elbow because the elbow is really complicated. I get this a lot. You know, um, it's usually a professional reaching out. Hey, I have a patient that has elbow instability um, or they just tell me that they have EDS and they want an elbow brace. And I'm like, oh, well, is it for tendonitis? Is it for instability? Is it what's going on? Um, and you do have some braces in this area for tendonitis for the inside and outside of the elbow. They do make compression sleeves that have um, like a little pillow, like you're talking about built into it. Right. So that it applies a little bit more compression on the tendon that's irritating you. It changes the, um, the, the force of the tendon pull nerdy stuff, but it, it just changes the, the force of the contraction. So it relieves it a little bit through compression. Um, so there's compression uh, sleeves for the elbow out there. There are um, straps, just like you talked about the knee strap, like a um, tennis elbow strap that you can use for the outside. Some I've seen some people use on the inside of the elbow, although both of those actually can compress a nerve too. So you have to be super careful with that, that you have it in the right place. Um, and then when we get to stability choices, that's where it gets a little bit tricky um, because what sort of stability are we talking about? The elbow is actually a little bit more complicated than it seems when we're talking about stability. So you have the inside of the elbow where you can have medial instability, what they um, you see sometimes with uh, baseball pitchers. Um, so you can have instability there. Usually comes with a lot of pain. Um, they do have braces that limit hyperextension. So being able to prevent the elbow from, you know, going all the way back so that it looks like it's bending backwards. That does tend to help with that medial instability, as we call it. Um, they're hyperextension limiting braces. There, for the outside of the elbow, there's two things that can happen at the outside of the elbow. And one is this nursemaid's elbow or dislocation of the radial head. So that little tiny bone that's um, up at the top of the outside of the elbow. This usually only happens in, in kiddos. And we usually see everybody grow out of this, whether, you know, EDS, hypermobility or not. We usually see people grow out of this. So I don't usually see this as the problem, but sometimes you can use some, um, some, uh, the, the strap, the tennis elbow strap in that area. It just might compress the head a little bit so that that feels better. Um, but, or wearing an elbow sleeve sometimes just for compression can help that. 
the bigger issue in this area is called posterolateral rotary instability or PLRI. It's a mouthful, but basically you actually have the whole um, radial heads and uh, that slides away from the upper arm bone. So it's this gapping. It's a rotary instability that we see in the knee. We can see in the elbow too. Um, and this is where you get the feeling of instability. When you're pushing up off of things where you're pushing doors open, um, you get the feeling of instability or clicking, things like that on the outside of the elbow. I find that that is more commonly what I see when people have outside of the elbow complaints. Um, and that's a tricky one. <laughs> that's really tricky. I highly recommend doing whatever you can do to strengthen that area, which is a whole nother topic. Um, or seeing a hand specialist, a certified hand therapist to be able to work on this area. Um, I will tell you from being a PT for, 10 or 15 years before I went into hand therapy as well, uh, I had no idea that you had to put the hand in certain positions to be able to stabilize certain areas of the elbow. So please see a certified hand therapist if you have elbow issues. Um, because this sort of stabilization is a big, wonky, awful brace. It's a hinged brace that doesn't let you um, straighten out past a certain point. It keeps your, your palm turned down towards the floor. It's very, very limiting. Um, and I find that it decreases function even more so than, I don't want to say putting up with the instability, but you also, you don't want to lose um, some of that, that functional mobility that you had with the hand with grip strengthening, because when we put something that big and honky on somebody, they usually use the other hand to get fine motor stuff done and to use, um, to lift, to open jars. So that's, that's one that requires a very in-depth conversation of if you're going to go that route. But unfortunately, like I said, that's something that is more of the typical issue I see at the elbow. Gotcha. And that sounds like um, you know, by the time they get to that brace, uh, they probably would have been misdiagnosed or mistreated a, a bunch because that's something that frankly, I'm just not that familiar with treating. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I see more of the tendinopathies. And but, yeah, and sometimes it's called just a tendinopathy tennis elbow, um, and it's missed. <laughs> and the tests to to see if there's instability there are difficult for people to do, and not many people know of these tests to actually check for instability there. So, certified hand therapist is where you need to yeah. go to get this checked out. So, EDS specialist, certified hand therapist. That's going to narrow the window, <laughs> but nonetheless. All right, let's slide down to the wrist. Um, the wrist is another tricky one because that's one that um, I tell people, if we're going to talk about a brace, we're probably going to talk about you ordering a few different braces. And it's not because I'm indecisive. It's because uh, we use the hands and wrists a lot during the day. So again, if we're talking about pain relief, that's compression. So finding a brace that's more compression. There are many of them out there that just slide on um, over the wrist and hand that can give you some compression, good feedback and help with some pain. However, if you use your hands during the day, I have a lot of people that come in with hand complaints that they're typing all day. Well, we need to limit the motion 
Um, if you're having any sort of uh, wrist tendinitis, if you're having carpal tunnel, things like that, because any movement will change the force on the tendons, cause more irritation, and it also compresses the carpal tunnel. So we need to keep this the wrist in what we call a neutral position. So finding a brace also that stabilizes the hand in that position in that, you know, so it's not up or it's not down, but it's right in the middle. Uh, that's something that, that we need to find as well. And it's totally different depending on the person and the work that they do, but just understanding that, you know, a compression brace for pain, a stabilizing brace for, uh, for work and for function to limit and, you know, keep things stable. Um, and then you, there are other options out there too. Like I have conversations of, do we look for uh, a low profile, like what's called a wrist widget that just limits extension, which a lot of people have difficulties putting weight through the, the hands, pushing up off of the hands. Sometimes a wrist widget can just prevent that movement, super low profile. Um, and then do we need to include the thumb? with it because some people have on and off thumb pain. So some of these wrist uh, braces have thumb components to them. Do we need the thumb or can we leave it out? And some, a lot of my patients, we actually need both. So again, we go to like a, a neoprene with the, um, you with know, more compression built out, into it. built out into the thumb and a stabilizing, stabilizing brace as well. So that, that really varies depending on the person as to the wrist brace, but there are a lot of options out there. And usually it's a combination of, uh, a stabilizing brace, um, and also of, of a compression brace. Okay. So you kind of touched on a little bit of the thumb, but what about the, the fingers and the thumb? Um, I can't express enough the importance of just talking to somebody or looking at your own fingers and seeing if they're hyper flexible, hyper mobile. Um, can they bend back? Does your index finger join at the end? Uh, really bend backwards when you press down through the finger. Um, what's going on at the fingers when you hold a pen, when you type? Uh, I did not realize how much of a difference they would make until after I put my ring splints on and I can't type without them now. I didn't realize that it was so irritating that I couldn't type for long periods of time. Because you just live with it. Yeah, that's just the way that it was. So, um, so yeah, I highly recommend looking into ring splints. Um, there are different things for the thumb. So let's start at the thumb first. And if we look at the thumb, it depends on which part of the joint that we're talking about. There um, is the, the push grip splint. Um, that can be modified a little bit by somebody that does orthotics, like a hand therapist. And that helps stabilizes, stabilize at the, the base of the thumb towards the hand. And it puts the whole thumb in a better position. And it's called a push grip uh, because it also pushes on the, the meaty pad that's there. So again, we talked about changing the force components, like those um, tendon straps. And that's what this does. It changes the, the force that's applied through the muscle, and it usually helps relieve some of the pressure that's there. So it's like a two-for-one brace. Um, again, it also puts the thumb in a better position to use it functionally so that you don't have hypermobility as badly at the other joints because we actually see issues happening at the other joints because of what's happening down lower at that base of the hand. Uh, so when we're talking start about the collapse in there and mm -hmm. it follows down the chain. Yep. All the way down the chain. So sometimes when we stabilize at the, you know, the hot spot where things are happening, then things fall into line down further. That's not always the case. And sometimes people just need um, bracing all the way down. And there are ring splints for this as well, that you can involve one, two, three joints of the thumb from the hand all the way to the fingertip. Uh, and again, it just depends on the person. Um, 
Thumb splints can also come in neoprene just for compression as well. If you're just super sore or you have thumb tendinitis, um, compression would be the way to go for that. But again, if we're trying to limit some hypermobility, the joint from caving in when you're using it, that would be these, these stabilizers like the, the ring splints or the, the push grip helps put you in a different position. So right. that's, that's for the thumb. We get to the fingers. And again, love the finger splints. Um, you can limit mobility at the fingers so that they're not hyperextending, that they're not pushing back as far. They also have ring splints for fingers that are starting to drift to the side. So they, they're called lateral stabilizers. So as you start to apply too much pressure and you're hypermobile, you're going to start getting some wear and tear of the side, limit, side ligaments as well. So you'll get a drift. It's usually in the top um, part of the finger and you'll see a drift over to the side and they actually do make uh, splints that help bring it back to that that neutral point and help uh, it stops pushing on the ligaments and straining the ligaments so that's an option knuckles are a little bit different but knuckles still have an option as well they call them the mcps the metacarpal phalangeals um, the knuckles have options for bracing too where you can limit um, basically too much bending or too much uh pushing back into hyperextension. Um, and then there's, uh, there's these ring splints that, um, they call it like a yoke. It looks like a yoke that you put around oxen. Mm -hmm. Um, so it goes between three fingers and I like that for people that have issues of catching their fingers on things and they feel like their knuckles are sliding out, um, with rotation or with pushing out to the side rather than just up and down. So when you have this yoke on, it keeps those three fingers, uh, within a pretty good distance from each other. And you're not going to have that pull away from the hand. Gotcha. So, um, you know, I just, I keep thinking of grabbing grocery bags and the grocery bag starts to slide off and it catches your middle finger and then that knuckle just rotates out. So things like that would be good for what they call a yoke splint where it keeps the knuckles close together. So you're not going to have as much sliding. Okay, cool. So let's head back to the torso and talk about the back. Do you want to talk about posture a little bit up around the, the upper back or kind of the, the entirety of the torso? Let's go, let's go up and then back down. Cause yeah, yeah posture is, um, is starts up a little bit higher for most of us. Um, the low back is definitely involved, but yeah, the, the thoracic spine and up higher postural straps are out there. Oh, gosh, I've had one person that had, um, it was a little, uh, some sort of instrument that they put on their upper back that had an app that went to their phone that would, um, it had the little, uh, like a, like a le level. Yeah. It was like a level. So every time that you would start to lean forward too much, the level of the little bubble would, would alert your phone and uh, it would tell you to sit back up. So that's one way, if you really want to actively work on it, that's one way to do it. But there are postural straps where it actually physically supports you as well. Um, and this is something that I've had issues with providers on because postural straps, they don't want their patients, you know, in a postural strap all day that uh, they want them actively working on things. And I understand, but also you have to understand they're not going to be doing their exercises eight hours throughout their work day. So if you're still going to let that person go to work, give them a postural strap if that's what they're having issues with. And then just make sure that they are, again, it's the goals in the brace where the brace have your goals. So be working on that stuff and then start to wean out of the posture strap when you feel like you're strong enough. But if you're working on strength 
and you're just starting out, you can't expect somebody to be able to support themselves eight hours, eight hours through a work day. Yeah. So give them that support, give it to them. But again, have a goal and have that conversation of what are we doing with this? You can wear your postural strap, you know, during work, you can even leave it on for the exercises, but let's do a couple weeks, a couple months, however long it takes of doing these postural exercises. And then let's see if we can start weaning you out for like an hour at lunchtime, then put it back on and then have a weaning plan set up with them. Yeah. And this is one thing that really grinds my gears is posture because the thoracic spine, tight pec minors in the sh- around the shoulder girdle, uh, forward head, all these, this is the hot spot area where posture is blamed. Like, ah, oh, you completely fell apart there. But we got to think like, total overall alignment. This is where the individual comes in, stabilizes around the spine, Mm -hmm. like deep core strength, hip strength, hip positioning, foot positioning, foot strength, intrinsics down there. Poor posture can come from any number of things. Mm -hmm. But the one place we look to is is right there and blame just that entirety of the area around the thoracic spine, around the mid-bike. But you really got to work with somebody that's going to look everywhere. Yeah. And don't don't be overwhelmed by what Tom just said too, because even though like we have to look at the whole body, when I look at the whole body on somebody and I find six or seven different things, I still give only one to two exercises to work on. It's not like you're going to be working on every postural thing that, right. that's found. You work choose. at the hot spots. Yeah. You have to, as a practitioner, <clears throat> you have to figure out like oh, where where is the epicenter? What do I think the epicenter is? And if it's not working out to be the epicenter, then you change and you work on something else. But, uh, but these postural straps, I like them. If you imagine somebody coming from behind you, looping their arms up and in front of your shoulders, so kind of almost giving you a bear hug, but their hands come up by your shoulders and then they pull you and hug you back and open your chest and expand through the shoulders. That's what these straps do. So it's like a figure eight strap that um, it just looks like somebody's wearing a backpack without a backpack on. And I've had people do this with yoga straps. Um, you can figure it with a yoga strap. I am not going to get into details of how to do it because verbally, um, I don't want anybody to try it. But you can look it up, figure eight posture straps um, to try as well. I think that they're super bener- beneficial if somebody needs them, especially if you have a long working day and you're having issues with working. All right. What about the back in, in general and in, in its entirety? Yeah, the back usually what we see are those compression components. Um, I I don't know if I've ever seen a stabilizing brace. Now there are some that are firmer than others, but you can still move in those braces. Your back is strong. Your hips are strong. So what we usually see are more of these compression braces or almost like the soft neck collar, these, these strapping systems that remind you of where you're supposed to be in space. Cause we tend to collapse a little bit through the lumbar spine as well. So it's just a reminder to keep you upright and erect through the spine. So this is where we kind of see like, no, it doesn't make you weak. It actually starts to stimulate some of the muscles that should be firing by putting you in a better position. So they're usually compression is what I see. Um, I actually have not braced too many in their lower back. Um, I, most people respond really well to treatment here, um, depending on what we're talking about. So that's primarily what I've seen. Have you seen anything else in the lower back? Yeah, I've seen one of the, I thought this was, I'm not big on board with like 
like every single new medical breakthrough or invention. But I thought this was really cool because we know a lot of people suffer from chronic back pain. They had, um, when Empy was a company, I think they're all Salmon's Preston now, but when Empy was a company, they came out with a a compressive back sleeve, you know, belt, if you will, that had e-stim embedded into it. So the pads went on with a little metal button, four pads, that then, you know, went on your back and the e-stim machine was built into the brace. So it was just, it, it barely stuck out at all. So it wasn't attaching all the wires and leads. It was, it was melted in to the, the brace itself. And I thought that was really neat, especially combining the compression with the, whenever you wanted to dial in the pain relief from the stem. Yeah, I do. I like that. Um, probably liability reasons and, um, it's just, it's hard to sometimes, especially some people with pain disorders, um, figure out how high the stim has to be, especially when you add compression on top of it. So I, I wonder if it's still around. Um, yeah, it but- was like, there were two firefighters that I treated that like, it was game changing for them. Yeah. Very functionally active and still working. And they were like, this thing is keeping me, you know, keep me out there. So. All right, so we'll have to look into that one to see if there's any options out there. Yeah. All right, so the hip, another big rotational, not as much freedom as the shoulder, um, because we know that the structure of that ball and socket joint is a bit more, you know, compressive and just by its anatomy, it's an anatomical structure, but the hip, Mm -hmm. what are we going to do for the hip? The the hip's like the elbow. Do you really want to brace it? Um, And there are some people, yes, that that do need some bracing. Um, You know, there are some compression options now. They make compression shorts that, uh, that have like extra woven paths to follow the fascia that do seem to help some people just on compression. Um, but then the other option we have is this big, huge clunky brace. So the brace can help a little bit with positioning, um, not so much. So we usually use it to prevent um, instability from happening. So if you are a person that is walking down the street, steps off of a curb, up onto a curb, whatever it might be, and the hip gives out where your body buckles underneath you, then something like that might be appropriate, again, while you're working on other things to figure out how to get your stability back. Um, For those that, uh, and I'm one of them, so you can actually do this and it's not necessarily instability, but for those that can shift their hip out to the side and turn in and out so that they get a clunk, 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 clunk on the outside of their hip, that is usually fascia. That's usually the IT band flipping over the greater trochanter. Um, Don't do that. If you're doing enough, you give yourself bursitis. Um, Is that a problem? Yes. Are you going to make it better with the hip brace? Personally, I don't think so, because for you to do it, you had to shift your hip, do this and that. And then when you stood back up, it didn't do it anymore. So the hip brace, really, you should be thinking about the hip brace is if you're walking, bending over, reaching for something and your body gives out. So the party tricks, um, I can do so many of them. The party tricks do not mean that you necessarily need to stabilize the area. That's not functional instability. That's like active instability where you can show somebody, hey, look what I can do. My shoulders do it too. Yeah. Um, but it's this functional instability that we have to be concerned about. The, you know, can you walk in a straight line without the body giving out? So that's where I would 
maybe recommend this hip brace because it's huge. It's clunky. It goes over um, clothes. There's a hinge component to it that straps to your thigh. So that's another one, just like the elbow where I'm like, oh, do do we want to go down that road? Is it going to provide you as much help as you think? Uh, If you have true instability, true instability, functional instability at the elbow or at the hip, then let's talk about these big clunky braces. But if you're, if that hip isn't giving out on a regular basis, then I'd like to talk other options. That's me personally. Other practitioners might have a different opinion, but, um, I wore that brace. Um, you've worn that brace. I've worn that brace twice. Yeah. Um, I wore that brace for like a half a day yeah, and, then I, and then I lost it. <laughs> and I did make like a hundred cupcakes on the day after surgery, but it, I hated it. I absolutely hated it. And I, I didn't need it. I was stable um, even after resurfacing <laughs> surgery. So um, yeah, so it depends on the person. Again, we go back to person dependence. So that's a big conversation to have those big clunky braces are for functional instability throughout your typical day. Okay. So let's slide down the kinetic chain and talk about the knee. Uh, Gosh, there's so many options for the knee. um, And it depends on what type of instability we're talking about. But let's talk about pain first. Just general pain can do well with just typical compression sleeves. There are many companies out there, many materials. So that's person dependent as well. Um, I have some people that like the copper in them or, you know, whatever else they put into the versus fabric versus elastic. Yeah. Patient dependent. Um, There are some companies that make them more seamless, which um, those with pain disorders and those that just have typical skin irritation do better with. If we're talking about instability, well, what type of instability are we talking about? And I think this is where people don't understand that there's a difference in the braces, Um, neoprene sleeves don't add stability. If you want stability, are we talking about the kneecap or are we talking about the knee itself? Because you can have patellar instability and you can have what I see a lot is rotary instability of the knee. So with patellar instability, that's where your kneecap starts to slide out to the side. And to properly stabilize that, you need something like what they call a J brace. Um, And that just means that there is a firm pillow of support that's in a J or a C shape on the outside of the kneecap that comes with straps to pull across. So it looks like a C or a U on its side. Sometimes they look like J's and come up and across, but you can actually physically pull the kneecap over and strap it back down. If you have patellar instability, this is the type of brace that you need. Donut holes aren't going to work the same way. You actually need something to pull that kneecap over. So as you, yeah, as your knee goes into flexion and that kneecap starts sliding up and down in the groove, Mm -hmm. you want that to help keep it in in where it should be. That's more likely to benefit you than other braces. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So if we're looking at stuff like rotary instability, which is where, um, when you plant your foot, your knee can turn in and out, um, and it slides in and out. Uh, this is, Commonly what I see in people that have true knee instability with EDS is more of this rotary instability. So that's a little bit more complicated. Um, If you do have, again, functional instability here where you're walking and the knee just keeps buckling and it's not the kneecap and you'd have to talk to a professional about which one it is because sometimes they feel the same, especially when the knee is caving in, which is what happens with both of these instabilities. So 
if you're looking for a brace, you have to, again, go with this more clunky brace. Now, they are much more streamlined than they used to be. And they do have just regular hinged braces that you can buy off of the internet and you can just strap them on and anything that prevents rotary instability and things like ACL braces work Uh for this. However, if you want, if this is something that is, you've had rotary instability your whole life and it's really impacting your daily function, then looking into a custom made brace by, um, and I'm again, not, I'm not singling out companies, but Don Joy is the only one that's coming to my mind well, right now. They've just done it for so long. They've done it for so long. Somebody actually comes and measures you and then fits you with um, like a streamline, uh, very low profile brace that provides a lot of instability or a lot of stability for instability. So I had one of those made a while back um, when I tore a very weird ligament in my knee that it took them forever to figure out which one it was, but I have actually learned to control that stability over time. So that was just like, I think I wore it for like a year, but those braces are out there. And again, which is a record for you. Thank you. Yeah, go ahead. I only wore it during martial arts when we were doing jump kicks, but <laughs> you know, it's, so there are other options out there and it's really important to know that you can't just slap on a knee brace. If you're working on stability, you have to know what type of instability you have um, and then fit that up with the right brace. Okay. All right, so slide down to the ankle. We'll talk about the foot and ankle. So the ankle is kind of like the wrist. That's one that I tell people if you're gonna if you have issues here, you're probably gonna need a number of different braces. Um, there are stability braces and there are compression braces, and usually people want both or a hybrid or you know usually there's pain in the ankle when people have instability because we're on it. So looking for a compression type of option, any sort of sleeve, uh, again, you want to make sure that they're seamless, not pooching companies out there, but I've had the same Barafine brace for maybe 10 years um, and it fits like a glove. It does not press into any part of my foot that causes pain um, and it has little spots where it indents into some of the tendons to apply apply a little bit more pressure for pain relief. So fits in um, a shoe real smoothly. Yeah. fits in a shoe very smoothly. Uh, so that is one I actually see without me suggesting, I see a lot of my patients go and get, and then Barafine has different levels of stability where, um, that it's not neoprene, but it's their elastic component that they use comes with straps. So it could be a compression with straps that helps that in and out stability at the ankle. Then you can get um, one step further and there could be a plastic component to it. When you have a, a plastic component over, especially the outside of the ankle, it provides more stability. So you can go with the ankle. You have all of these levels of options of what you look for. Please be aware that they're all out there. It's different for everybody. Um, the one that I use when I have acute injuries, which I haven't, you know, knock on wood, I haven't had in a while, but I had so many acute ankle injuries, um, you know, about two decades ago now that I had uh, a slide on sleeve that came with plastic inserts on both sides and it had the figure eight strap. So I know that a lot of doctors out there, they prescribe the lace up ones. Um, but to be completely honest with the amount of instability that can, and hypermobility on top of instability that can happen at the ankle, I think the lace up ones for most people allow too much gapping that you don't have the firm contact with the skin. So you're not going to have that snug fit anymore. And you actually have all this wobbly room in where it's kind of bubbling up around the ankle. 
Same when that foot and ankle's in that nap, that neutral position where it's at like zero degrees of dorsiflexion. Like imagine somebody standing upright. The lace-up brace is like, it's good. It's completely tight. But as soon as you start wiggling forward, mm-hmm. side to side, that gapping, I can totally see what you're talking about around both the inside and outside of the ankle bones. Yeah. So, so I tell people, you know, if you have pain, look into compression. If you have pain with a little bit of instability, uh, look into compression with some of those figure eights or like a small plastic insert on the, the outside or inside as well of the ankle. And if you have true instability, you're looking for something that potentially has like firm plastic inserts on the outside and inside of the ankle and can still fit firmly around your ankle with figure eight straps. Gotcha. (laughs) All right. And then uh, head, shoulders, knees, and toes. Yeah, there's not much to talk about the toes, to be honest. It's not like we have bracing systems. Um, You can put spacers between especially like the big toe and the second toe just to help with alignment. But you know, I put this in here again, not much to brace, but if you are having issues, change your footwear, please. If you're having a lot of issues with instability, you really need something that has a solid toe base to it. Um, I don't want to say steel toed boots, but we need something that has, um, almost like a a walking boot mentality to the the firm surface. Um, when you're going to be on your feet for a long time, or if you do have a lot of toe instability, um, if you are a woman that wears heels or anybody that wears heels and you are finding that when you are walking that you are feeling your toes sublux, you either need to find a wider toe box in your shoes or you have to stop wearing heels, please. You are just constantly subluxing your toe. I see that a lot with that narrow um, narrow shoe support. When you add the heels in that position, you're constantly pushing through the toes. So it tends to sublux if it's just jammed in there. So change your footwear. It's If you keep subluxing as you're walking, it's just going to lead to damage over time. Gotcha. Yeah, I would, I would just add in, you'd mentioned toe spacers and alignment that the foot is all about a lot of long-term work in terms of making sure that we're positioned appropriately, that we've chosen the right lifestyle, like footwear, talking about those things, what to wear at home. Yeah. And I guess we did leave out like arch strapping. There are like uh, arch compression uh, straps that you can put on there, which I do have some patients that like, but just like you're saying, you know, well, what are we doing for the arch? Right. Uh, it's, it's kind nice of going to... that down that orthotic hole a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So goals. So yes, if you have to wear an orthotic or you have to wear an, an arch, well, what are you doing um, to work on it? What are you doing? What is your goal with the bracing? Awesome. So uh, third and final time, do go check out the PowerPoint presentation for some visuals, anything else you want to say about bracing? There is so much more I could say, but again, I just want to express that uh, it's it's individual and you know you have to have somebody to chat with or throw ideas around with on what's best for you. Um, and I hope that you find that person if you need to have that conversation. Uh, but there, there are so many options and just make sure that you have the right brace for what you're looking for and understand that just because you have Uh, EDS or HSD, or you're just hypermobile, that you are not confined to braces just because of the diagnosis. Um, It may be you and it may be something that can be worked on, but the diagnosis does not mean that you're braced for life. Awesome. Thanks, Dr. Patty. Thank you for taking the time to tune into Thriving with Stripes. Follow us on this journey by clicking subscribe on the Apple iTunes store, Google Play Music, or wherever you find your podcasts. As a reminder, we see patients in office and via teleappointment for those out of area. 
If you have any questions or would like to reach out, our email is info at elevationwellness.co. We are also on Facebook as Elevation Wellness and Instagram under the handle elevation underscore wellness underscore co. Until next time, zebras.